Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast, the internet's best resource for getting ahead as a student, but a terrible resource for learning just why kids love the taste of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. For that resource, you're going to want to look at your eyes, which allow <laughs> you to see the sugar. It's true, yes. And, uh, and also the sugar. That's done. Did I mention the sugar as it's well? It's primarily the sugar. It's... Uh, but this podcast isn't the reason you would know that. So this podcast is also sugar free. It is. So did this you know is, that this, this is, is also sugar free? I did not. I still don't know how they make it taste now, good. Is it polar bear free? It doesn't specifically say polar bear free on the can. And I don't. I don't really trust that it. It's polar got it on bear the is label. not listed it in the ingredients. It says polar. It's got a bear on the front. You're. Yeah, you're right. You know. If I see a bottle at the store with a cow on it, I think, oh, that's cow's milk. Is this bear's milk, polar bear milk? That, I do have to wonder, like, if it's natural flavors, there's zero sugar in it, zero added sugar, zero calories. How do they get the flavor? I mean, I assume some essence of the fruit, um, either that you're not going to digest or that's in such a small amount mm. that it they can round it to zero. It's like 0.1 You know, like, maybe, maybe if you drank, like, 30 of these, you'd have a gram of sugar or something, you know? Well, it looks like I'm going to get a gram of sugar. There are only so many decimal points. That would actually take a lot. On the nutrition facts. Yeah, I'll be burping all day long. That's not going to be good. Doesn't make for good radio. No, no. Yeah. Well, you know what we're doing today? That does make for good radio. Nope. I have no idea. Uh, We're announcing a monster truck rally. I didn't know. Sunday, See, I didn't Sunday, know that. Sunday. I've been to one of those. Have you? Yeah. I've never been to one. I, I always wanted to go weird. as a kid. It's kind of weird. doesn't really make sense for me, but I've been to one. I'm jealous. I always wanted to go as a kid. I always wanted to go see Gravedigger. It was pretty cool. And I never got to go. Did I see Gravedigger? I have a flag with a bunch of signed, a bunch of autographs from Monster Truck Drivers. I imagine I that check. if you went to a sufficiently big Monster Truck rally that you saw Gravedigger. I'm trying to, like, I remember when I was a kid, I knew all about Gravedigger. I knew all about a bunch of other Monster Trucks, and I can't pull the names of them up right now but i never went to a rally i'm wondering like did i have a monster truck video game or was there just some tv show that had monster trucks on them because i was all about them but i don't remember why i don't know i remember why i was about transformers because my friend blake had a bunch of transformers from beast wars and i thought that beast wars was the original transformers and then i realized if it's beast wars they're monsters and they're kind of trucks, right? Because they're Transformers. So maybe you just they're put two really and two trucks. together. Oh, oh my gosh. They're vehicle monsters. So then you, go. then you thought to yourself, monster trucks. What a good idea. Yeah. Just like those Hollywood writers who were in a room one day and they were just like, wait, monster truck. <gasps> got an idea for a movie. Yeah. And good on them, I guess, because that got made somehow. I don't know if it did well or not. I imagine it didn't do too well. <laughs> Oh, I, that, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. I forgot about that. Why is that? <laughs> I saw the previews, and I was I mean, very uninterested. That's movies for you. It is movies for you, yeah. Although we do have a very exciting movie coming up this week. Pretty stoked about that. I'm sure people can guess what it is. Of course, it's Detective Pikachu. Is that coming out 
that's actually, not, I don't know. That's not coming out this week, right? Because I want to see that. Too. That's coming out next month. I want to see that. No, Endgame's coming it's out. It's going to be great. So basically what I'm doing is, you know, floating through my existence with some semblance of a professional image, just waiting for Endgame. Fair. As, You've seen an opening night? Yep. Cool. Yep. Yeah, Taylor got us tickets like the moment they came out, so. Yeah, I'm seeing it the next day at 9 a.m. That's pretty good, too. Nobody, everybody's going to leave me alone. It's That's be pretty better. good, too. I'm sure you got pretty so, good seats for that. All right, so this week we are doing five questions as selected by you and let's just jump into it yep as uh um, we've done enough monster truck talking so say yeah yeah so uh, about once a month we do a five questions episode where we take five questions from you guys via instagram dms tweets emails smoke signals ethereal whisperings through the philotic chords of the universe whatever communication medium that you prefer to use and uh we just kind of do like a lightning round answer for each one so if you want to have your question answered in a five questions episode or possibly have it turned into a full episode if we get the inspiration to do so um probably the best way to ask us would be to tweet us i'm tom frankly on twitter and you are yo martholomew on twitter yes indeed make it a cool question yeah it's gonna be a cool question uh or Email's good, thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. Instagram's not so good. I gotta admit, I just don't check those DMs anymore. They are overwhelming. That's fair. You know? And I, I don't know, I, I've just kind of decided that Instagram is not a high-impact network for me now. Yeah. You know, I feel like, and maybe, I don't even know how high of an impact network it is for you. I feel like you more use it as a portfolio, almost. I just use it because I want to put photos and stuff up. I don't really consider social media high impact anything. I feel like social media in its entire existence has largely been 80% hype. That's true. About how useful <laughs> it's going to be. And then like I could have spent all that time doing something more directly affecting to anything. Yeah, it's but, hard to say. You know, I, I like having dumb conversations occasionally. So that's. I did enjoy our dumb conversation yeah. this morning with yeah. our Iowa friends. And that's actually a pretty decent way to interact with our Iowa friends. And I also have to say there have been several sort of catalyst moments where my professional career has taken a leap because of something that happened on social media. Oh, okay. Well, I don't so participate enough for it to be useful for me. That's so. true. Yeah. I guess, like, your contribution is just helping this this company, and, like, the company itself has made leaps through social media, but not everyone in the company needs to be on social media to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Join a company who's already on social media, then you don't have to use it. Hooray. Boom. Life hack. All right. Let's get into the first question here. As a general rule, should I play to my strengths or work on my weaknesses? We got some philosophizing to do. And we do have some philosophizing to do. My first question is how do you know what's truly a weakness and what is just something that is inherently difficult and that you have not put enough time into? That's fair. You know, a lot of stuff might seem hard at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say language is one of my strengths now, but it definitely wasn't when I first started. So there is some degree of pushing through something difficult to even yeah. find out whether it could be a strength. Mm-hmm. I would say one of my primary strengths is the ability to speak well. I think that you know the fact that this business is still in existence is kind of a proof of that. Yeah. But when I was a kid, and even when I was a preteen, I mumbled so much, my parents could barely understand me. And they would threaten to send me to speech therapy. They would threaten to put marbles in my mouth. Uh, 
And I remember one time where they made a joke about, oh, I bet you Thomas is going to grow up to be a sports announcer. <laughs> As if. So, you know, for the most, for like the first 15 years of my life, speaking was considered a weakness, both by me, but also by my parents. And, you know, I think they were trying to make me improve, but they wouldn't have never said, oh, yeah, speaking clearly, that's one of Thomas's weaknesses or its strengths. Yeah. Definitely a weakness of mine. And then I don't think there was ever a conscious decision to, you know, try to work on the weakness that was speaking. It was more just like I wanted to do certain things that required speaking. So I just had to focus on that. Yeah. You know, maybe there's one answer, one potential answer, at least if you have something you perceive to be a weakness, but it's a like a prerequisite for doing something that you want to do. Well, then maybe you got to work on that. Yeah. Like, I think we tend to have some natural advantages at some things, primarily because they line up with either our natural physical, you know, existence. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm probably not tall enough to be a great immediate basketball player. I'd take a little more work. Yeah. But some of the weaknesses that we might have are in the way of our strengths. So if I were a great basketball player, but nobody ever wanted to play with me because I suck at social skills, I can't focus on my strength until I've focused on my weakness. Yeah. At least a little bit to get me past the thing. And if you do find you have natural advantages, I, it makes sense to spend more time on it if you want to be really good at it. You have a, the advantage is like a force multiplier. Mm-hmm. You know, every every minute you put into that is probably going to make you twice as good as a minute that you put into something that you're just you're just terrible at. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you should avoid all your weaknesses forever. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's all about what your goals are, and it's all about balance. You know, one of my goals is for this business to generate enough income to support not only myself but also everyone who works for it. So I have to play to my strengths, and like you said, I have to play towards my force multipliers to make that happen. I can't start doing video game reviews tomorrow and just completely shirking all the productivity content because that won't bring money in. Yeah, you know? like it would be it would be a bad strategy mm -hmm. to divert things away from your natural core ability to do more with your time there. Mm -hmm. But there are also things in my free time that I would consider maybe weaknesses or areas where I haven't developed my potential and I I want to do things in those areas so I have to push myself towards working on those weaknesses. And honestly, I think that more, more things that are perceived as weaknesses are in fact underdeveloped areas than, uh, than are things that are true weaknesses. Like, yeah, you're probably not going to be a champion basketball player. Then again, Allen Iverson wasn't very tall. Neither you know? was, neither was, I think the red monster. The Red Monster was not very tall either. But he made it work out. You know? Other than the fact that the Looney Tunes won. None of them None were of, very they tall, weren't tall either. Actually, you're right. None of them were tall. Exactly. Mm. You know, but if you, if you go and look into certain things, like certain uh, physical traits that the, the top performers in all sports tend to have, you can see some trends. Like Michael Phelps has ridiculously long arms. Yeah. He has just this ridiculous ape index, and that really helps him swim. So if you have short arms, you're probably not going to be an Olympic level swimmer. So maybe that isn't a goal that's going to happen for you. But I think more things are in the vein of, oh, I'm bad at languages. I'm bad at math. I'm bad at singing. I'm bad at guitar. I have social anxiety. I choose to believe that these are underdeveloped areas rather than true weaknesses. 
You're just not practiced. Yeah. At a lot I'm of not these. an RPG character that was born with a set amount of skill points in this area. Like you can, you can view yourself that way. And I think like that's, that's a legitimate way to view yourself, but it's also a limiting way to view yourself. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I want to view myself that static. I want to have yeah. a, a bit of a growth mindset and that if I divert my attention entirely to a new field, mm-hmm. I would hope that I believe in my ability to do something with it, even if I'm bad at it now. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe maybe with enough time, I could become a crazy good basketball player. It's just that I'm not going to have the force multiplier of the natural advantage. So it will take me more work than it might take somebody who has a better force multiplier. So would yeah. it be smart for me to spend my time doing something I'm naturally good at? Yes, unless... I exclusively want to be like a basketball player. You know, yeah. if it's my greatest passion, sure, work past the natural disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, you know, what it really comes down to is the more general your goal is, the more potential paths there are to get to it. And some of those paths may play on current strengths you have, some may not. You know, the more specific your goal is, then the more prescribed that path may be. And oftentimes you're going to get your answer based on that goal. You want to be a musician and you're a weak guitar player, become a better guitar player. You know, uh, part of what informs this for me as someone who's trying to become a singer is uh, something I read in Derek Sivers book. I think it's called Anything You Want, where he talked about uh, how for years and years and years, people kept telling him, Derek, you're not cut out to be a singer. You just don't have a good voice. And he took lessons that he practiced for probably near 15 years. And I think in the book he mentioned, like, sometime in his late 20s or right around the time he was 30, he started to develop this voice that people started to actually enjoy. And had he quit during all those years developing as a singer, he would have never gotten there. But he did get there. And I was like, all right, if Derek Severs, someone who had been told for over a decade that he was a bad singer, no natural talent, shouldn't even consider it, can get to a point where he is considered a good singer and enjoys his own voice, then I can do it too. Yeah. And I can do the same thing with a guitar. And I can do the same thing with basically anything where there's not like an, you know, uh, a physical obstacle that can't be overcome. Yeah. And I, and I think for the most part, maybe this comes from the sense that I want if I want to be world class at something, it will be easier for me to do that if I tap into a natural advantage. Mm-hmm. But actually, so I didn't verify this because I didn't think about this, but I'm pretty sure I read a long time ago that. Tony Hawk, because he's, he was taller, that skateboarding was a little bit harder for him. Oh, yeah? And he had to push past it because of, uh, I don't know, balance issues or something. I I think I read a book on Tony Hawk when I was very little. But if that is the case and he had that disadvantage, well, it didn't matter because he pushed through it and he, he did become, you yeah. know, he Tony Hawk. Mm-hmm. So it worked out if you care enough, even if there's a little bit of a hurdle. And you don't realize that your natural advantage is just caring a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. What's really cool to me is that even when there's an industry with best practices, there's often people who come in from a completely different angle and they succeed anyway. Because often the best practices, yeah, they're going to work well, but they're not the only way to do things. They're just the way that people have seen. There's survivorship biases in the best practices. It's just the practices of the people who did it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they know everything. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if you went to um, the commissioner of the World Boxing Association, I don't know what exactly what it's called. Commissioner like, Gordon. What's, what's the best way to fight? They're gonna be like, well, it's to punch people, right? Like all the best boxers in the world, they they're the best at punching people. And then there's all these other disciplines out there, you know, but they're not super familiar with them. So maybe drunken monkey kung fu is actually the best way to defend yourself, but 
they just don't really have any sort of observation to lean on there. So what are they going to recommend? You learn to box, kid. Learn to get your guard up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, people teach what they know. I was talking to um, a friend the other day, and we were talking about how, like, there are a lot of industries where there's, like, a whole arm of the industry that helps new people get into it. And often the the cynical people will say, like, oh, what you're selling is a dream. And a huge portion of the people that are trying to do what you're helping them do are never going to get there. Really good example. A lot of, like, the how to, how to be an online blogger websites, how to be an online mm. entrepreneur. They yeah. sell all these courses. And it's very easy to say objectively, like, what we're teaching is very useful. You know, we're teaching you how to build a website. We're teaching you how to set up an email list. We're teaching you how to build a funnel, all these things. But usually the sales points aren't so dry. They're more selling a dream. What I'm selling you is the potential to be able to leave your nine to five job, the potential to set your own destiny, to be your own boss, to own your own business. And we know the statistics, the majority of businesses fail, right? Yeah. So it'd be very easy to say, oh, you know, this entire arm of the industry is just selling a dream. And, and why would you even do this? Because 95% of the people who buy your products are never going to get there. But with every individual person, how can you tell them definitively that they are not the one that's going to get there? Yeah. Like even if, even if you had this great eye for talent or lack thereof, and you could tell nine out of 10 people, look, you just don't have what it takes. With one out of 10, you're gonna get it wrong, and you might discourage them, and you might have cut off the path. You know, they might have actually succeeded, but you cut them off. So, and the other thing is that this person pointed out to me, if you become the person who starts telling people, I just don't think you have the talent, a lot of people aren't going to quit. They're just going to go give their money to someone else. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's very easy to be cynical. You're going to look dumb when they take off. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, none of these industries is a little overzealous with the dreams that they're selling because they certainly can be. But it doesn't mean that these sorts of training programs shouldn't exist. Yeah. Because you don't know who is going to push past their weaknesses. You don't know who's going to develop and become great. I mean, I remember the very first website that I built for my web design company was awful. I designed it in PowerPoint before coding it. That's a thing? You can even, that's even a... So everything had terrible Microsoft Office, like 2003 glow effects on it. I built all the visual assets in PowerPoint and then exported them as PNGs or JPEGs. Uh, there were like 17 layers of drop shadow boxes. I thought it was so cool. And then I posted it in a forum for website critique and feedback. And I got dozens of replies, just people saying like, this is awful. This is absolutely terrible. Maybe this isn't for you. I'm upset. <laughs> And maybe we can put this in the show notes. I'm not sure. I'll have to see if it's still online uh, and that I've anonymized it. Yeah. Because I know I had like phone numbers and stuff at the time. But I got that feedback. It was very emotionally disturbing. <laughs> but after I got over the shock, I spent one night completely doing a new site from scratch. It was a lot simpler, but it was a lot cleaner. And I posted it the next day. And I, just, I remember like people were like much better in all caps. 
and it wasn't great, but it was yeah, much we ju- better. We just wanted you to change everything. Yeah, we, that's but you really did. what they wanted me to but do. But you did that. And yes, so you I did. did good. I changed everything. <laughs> <laughs> it was a completely different look. You know, but that first attempt, it would be very easy to look at that and be like, you don't have design sensibility. You just don't have that eye for aesthetics that you kind of need to do this sort of work. Well, I developed it. Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of the stuff that we're doing today is hard for it to be an inherent skill. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a baby isn't born knowing Python. Yeah. You have to figure that out through training and connecting various ideas about different disciplines that they might learn growing up. You're not born knowing the kind of weird nonsense that we do these days. Yep. Yeah. So I guess to put a bow on it, there is no simple answer when you ask, should I play to my strengths or should I work on my weaknesses? I think the answer is look at your goals and then maybe go back and listen to episode 202 about the dip because yes. we talk about like when to yeah, quit. Yeah, that would be a good idea to know whether it's really a weakness or mm-hmm. something. There, yeah, there are some tough questions you can ask yourself about like how how far in am I and is this going to pay off or is it not going to pay off? You know, again, that's another question without a simple answer. But with some, you know, good questions and uh, self-awareness, you can come to hopefully a more accurate answer. Yeah, balance your highest potential skills, but also maybe your highest potential happiness. You mm-hmm. probably value one more than the other. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Question number two, excluding grades and volunteering, how can I make myself stand out as a unique person? Okay. So, um, you wear a trench coat, that fake Afro, that will work platform shoes with fish in them. Like the platform shoes or fish tanks. Are they full size fish tanks? I want the fish to have enough room. They, of course they are. We're not going to be, what are we? Inhumane people? No, you're wearing full-size tanks. I mean, fish they have fish shoes. For feet, right? <laughs> so you're going to need to go to the gym. You're going to need to do some leg day. Friends don't let friends skip leg day because when they want to wear the fish tank shoes, they need to be able to walk. I mean, this is this is kind of a tip. Being, If it's truly like what you want to do, I mean, look at Lady Gaga. I love That's Lady true. Gaga. Yeah. She's a fantastic performer and singer, but also she stands out because she dressed up as, as a bunch of weird stuff mm-hmm. for a long time, and that made her more memorable. You know, yeah, I, I don't think it would have worked if she didn't have the talent to back it up. But and that's the thing. Like, I remember reading the game. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book by uh, Neil Strauss. I've not. He was a journalist, kind of like a, I don't know, a slob looking journalist, like had kind of bad haircut, had social anxiety. And he got interested in the world of professional pickup artists who, you know, in general, I'm not a huge fan of because a lot of what they do is pretty manipulative. But I read the book out of curiosity, and he goes and he lives at this mansion in Hollywood with all these professional pickup artists, including this dude named, like, Mystery. Do they wear tactical gear to Whole Foods? Definitely tactical gear to Whole Foods to pick up cuties. Okay. Definitely going to bars wearing platform shoes, I think with fish in them, and fake afro and a bunch of gold chains and everything. And he he called his strategy, like, peacocking. Basically, like the male ah, peacock has the big feathers. That's a good name to for attract it. Attract attention, exactly right. Um, but crucially, like once you attract attention, you have to have some sort of substance behind it. Otherwise, no one's going to pay attention to you. <laughs> yep. Other than looking I'm at you just like you're a clown. the weirdo. Right. That's, yeah. that's it. So like, you can be a little ostentatious, but there has to be substance to back it up. And I think Lady Gaga is a great example of that. You can wear a meat dress, but you also have to make good music. Yeah, and she makes fantastic music. Yep. So I don't think people need to go wear a meat dress. Or I wouldn't wear a meat dress. You know, I wear a seitan yeah. dress. A meat dress would make me feel really like like I gotta disinfect myself. Yeah, it'd be very gross and greasy. It doesn't 
I'm not down. And it is gooey. Um, uh, so tying this back to people who aren't Lady Gaga or Mystery. Yeah, or who don't want to just be weirdos. To... Right. So I guess like going along this line of thinking, how do you combine flash with substance or like sizzle and substance? Uh, and I can't, I think I read a book about somebody talking about like you should think about the sizzle and the substance. I can't remember which book it was. Hmm. But uh, take my online presence, for example. I don't try to make my online presence the most like squeaky clean professional looking thing ever. I try to be a little weird online. I put weird, stupid jokes in my videos and video game references. And I'll like retweet Crunchyroll tweets asking what my favorite anime is. And I'll put Red Green Show in there because I love the Red Green yeah, Show. Yeah, Ed and Eddie is actually the best anime. That is a pretty so. good anime too, right? So, I don't know. I work to express myself, my personality online. I'm not just trying to be utterly professional. But I back it up with work that I believe in, with work that I think is good. And I think this is a good combination to strive for. Like, you need to have a, a core of solid, impressive work, but also something that makes you look unique. And that can be the way you express yourself, both in the real world and online. Yeah. And I think that being a T-shaped person is also a good way to do this because if you have multiple interests, you know, um, basically if I want to feel unique in a room of pianists, I'm going to talk about my language skills. If I have to bring up something that's like, yeah. you know, like, uh, icebreakers are like, what do you do? Oh, I study language. If I say I play piano, everybody's going to be like, Oh wow. That's a cool fact. <laughs> Didn't know that one in a room of linguists. I'm a programmer in a room of programmers. I talk about photography. If, yeah. you, if you have multiple interests, you can kind of just switch off the one that nobody's going to be very interested in. And then you mm. stand out as the person who's the combination of yeah. these two things. There's a, a lot of creativity and therefore unique things come from combining disparate things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something I've noticed is uh, like when you talk to musicians about your own music, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of interest there possibly because they're already interested in their own music. But if you talk to them about video games or something else, then I don't know, a lot of times there's yeah. more interest. Or maybe just they're always talking about their music, you know? It's maybe very possible. They, maybe they're like, "Yeah, but I'm this is my job at this point and I don't want to talk about it yeah. 100% of the time." So I think there's also something there to just having a bit of variety so that you can bring out the parts of you that will stand out in any situation. Yeah. Yeah. This week's episode of our show is brought to you by our friends over at Hover, which is the best place on the internet to get your hands on a domain name, which if you have not done so already is something that I highly recommend that you do. In fact, in this very podcast episode, we were talking about ways that you could stand out besides volunteering, besides getting good grades. And one of those ways is to build a professional online presence for yourself, which is the combination of all your social media profiles, but also an online home for yourself where you can display your work, build a portfolio and tell people how to contact you, how to network with you in different places. Uh, mine is called thomasjfrank.com. Unfortunately, I couldn't get thomasfrank.com. Not old enough for that. Uh, but at least I got thomasjfrank.com. And that is because as soon as I could, I locked down my domain name. And that's the thing about domain names. Once somebody else has it, you can't really get it. So as soon as possible, even if you're not yet ready to build yourself a website, I would recommend going and getting a professional domain name for yourself so you can use it whenever you see fit. And again, Hover is the best place on the internet to do that. They have over 400 domain extensions to choose from. They've got your classic .coms, your .mes, your .nets, .orgs, but also lots of fun ones, .pizza, .lol, .ninja. So you've got a lot of choices Though for a professional presence, personally, I would go with something like a .com or a .me to start with. And then maybe you could redirect something like thomas.lol 
to another project of yours as, like yeah. a, as a fun thing for the side. When you're buying a domain on Hover, and this is different than a lot of other registrars out there, there are no annoying upsells. There are no things to get in your way. It's a very streamlined process. And if you have an account on the site like I do, you can buy a domain name in less than 30 seconds, which is really convenient and really nice to know. Once you've got that domain, you can also use their connect feature to hook it up to lots of different website builder platforms like Squarespace and Shopify. And you can also get a professional email address for it as well, such as mine, which is thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. So if you want to lock down that domain for yourself and get 10% off your first purchase, head over to hover.com slash CIG, which is H-O-V-E-R.com slash CIG. And thanks as always to Hover for sponsoring this episode and being a big supporter of our show. And another thanks has to go out to our other sponsor this week, FreshBooks, who have built an awesome solution for anybody who works for themselves and wants to spend less time on the invoicing and accounting part of their business. So if you are like us, independent business owners, or you do something on a freelance basis, maybe building websites, maybe mowing lawns, doing landscaping work, um, graphic design like your girlfriend does, you know that there are a lot of different aspects to running your own business or freelance practice. There's the actual work, there's pulling weeds, doing the landscaping work, there's building websites, doing UI mockups, all that fun stuff. But then there's the accounting. And there's also sending invoices to clients and waiting to get paid and wondering if they actually got that invoice. And luckily, FreshBooks takes a lot of the headaches out of doing that. And in many cases, it can automate a lot of the processes that you have to spend time doing manually right now. For instance, you can automatically generate these very professional looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, and you can send them to your clients and they can actually pay via credit card on those invoices. So no longer do you have to wait for checks in the mail. They can just pay, which is very convenient for them, but it also gets you paid faster. In addition, FreshBooks can also pull in your income and expenses automatically from your bank statements. Then you just categorize them. It's very, very efficient. And that lets you keep tabs on your business, on your profits, on basically the health and financial well-being of this practice that you're running. So if you want to start spending more time doing the actual work of your business, be it that web design or that landscaping work or whatever it is, and less time on the admin stuff, on the accounting, the invoicing, all that, then give FreshBooks a try. And if you go over to freshbooks.com CIG, you can do just that for 30 days without paying anything. You can get a 30-day free trial. And when you do that, also put College Info Geek in that How Did You Hear About Us section. Thanks once again to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode and supporting our show. And let's get back into it. Um, so I guess they, they listed grades in volunteering. So there are definitely other things you can do part-time jobs. That's not volunteering. And we've talked about like the part-time job desirability hierarchy, anything yeah. that is really tied to your major, excuse me, or really tied to what you want to do professionally can help a lot. And a lot of times if you're in college, there are opportunities to do that. Like you worked in, well, you worked in several places on, on campus that were pretty, I had a lot of jobs in college. Major. I had like five or six or I'd like five or six good resume lines mm -hmm. at the end of it. Yeah. But so, and often like jobs on campus are looking for students. So they're not looking for the craziest amount of experience. Yeah. It's like a lower bar to entry because they kind of know who they're hiring. Yeah. Um, personal projects. So for you, Polyglot was a great one. Polyglot, which was your language learning blog, led to working with me, led to your first full-time job. Yeah. Led to here. Like that was kind of the genesis. Yeah, just doing something. In a side project like that, I think one of the things that makes it the most interesting, and maybe you can apply this sort of concept to a different sort of thing, not building something, yeah. you know, is that I'm building this for free, right? So whenever you're doing something really cool for free, 
somebody might be like, wait, why do they care so much that they're doing that for free? Because when I have free time, I'm not doing what looks like work. Why do they care so much? That stands out. Yeah. Because you care enough to sacrifice your free time for something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've got those. Um, There's clubs, organizations. Yeah. Uh, taking on leadership positions within those organizations. You know, there's all kinds of ways that you can get out and get involved. Just do something that doesn't involve pure consumption. That's, I think that's yeah, that kind doesn't of, stand out very well. Yeah, that's kind of the baseline here. Like if you find yourself spending a lot of time playing video games, watching TV, hanging out with friends, doing whatever, this isn't you building something that could be sure, shared with the world. You know, or, or something that could help to enhance your professional presence or to help you make connections with new people. So find a way to do those things. Yeah. And make sure whatever you're picking is sincere. Like you yeah. really you really care about it. Don't just pick up stuff just to say you do it because it's interesting because I think people will see through that. Mm-hmm. And it also might set you down a path you don't like. Yeah. You know, I guess like the, the older I get and the more down the path of this business that we go, like it becomes more and more obvious that like the the – Every choice you make sort of makes it easier to stay in that same path. Yeah. Easier and easier and easier. Or I guess another way to say it would be it makes it harder to leave that path. It's increasing your force multiplier for the path at least. So your Mm -hmm. incentive to leave is lower and lower and lower because you're like, but it would work so much easier if I I stay right here. And the consequences are higher. You know, uh, uh, 2013, I graduated college, was working on College of Bill Geek full time, but it was just me living in a $300 a month apartment with you guys at any time I could have been like, you know, I don't think I want to do this. I'm going to go look for a job. And there would have been very little consequence to that other than, you know, the blog slowly dying. If I wanted to do that now, that would mean you got got to replace your lifestyle at at the very, very minimum. Anything. Yeah. Anything I would go do. Maybe not. Maybe there was some, maybe there is something, but I guess like from my vantage point right now, any other option would involve a steep pay cut for me, but it would also mean telling 10 people on my team, like, hey, you got to go do something else. Yeah. Or like the clock is ticking, you know, because I'm I'm moving away and like the, I don't know, like I guess the good thing, but also bad thing about this business is that the majority of the income we bring in is dependent on doing more work. We're not like the ultimate passive income business that just brings in money from a system. Like, no, we have to make content yeah, this podcast. Has yeah, we got to come up with it. stuff. If we don't do the podcast, then the money doesn't come in. Got to research you know? things. Got to, mm-hmm. which that's fine. But again, like the the cost for making a different choice would be a lot higher now than it was six years ago. Yeah. So you know, and, and it's that doesn't mean you should sit there paralyzed, being like, "Where do I want to be in six years? I better not make a choice now that might send me down the wrong path." Again, it's always like this process of of questioning yourself. Like, does this actually matter to me? Do I want to be doing this? And at every stage I've answered yes to that question. Yeah. So. You've, you've looked down at the path you were walking each time and thought, yeah, this is still a decent direction. We'll mm-hmm. keep seeing what's up there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, don't sit there parallel. Don't, don't be like, on autopilot. Oh, I might be at a place that I don't like six years and then we'll be able to get out of it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's like the decision to have kids or something. But if it's, one of those small things that that slowly grows into a you career. You can't or pivot like that. from having kids very easily. <laughs> nope. You should probably raise them. <laughs> Be serious about that one. <laughs> I'm pivoting, kids. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, sad. Okay. Yeah. 
Question number three. I have ADHD and a severe dislike for reading. Any ideas on how to start changing this? So I think you were telling me when you were a kid, you actually were diagnosed. Yeah, with uh, specifically ADHD. with ADD. I didn't get the H. No hyperactivity for me. So is are these both still diagnosed today, or did one? I don't know. I okay. don't go get myself diagnosed every day. You know. Yeah, I guess that's true. I I feel like it was slightly before it was like everywhere. Yeah. So I don't know, but. Yeah, you know, focus is pretty hard sometimes, except for my obsessive focus. So I understand. And, you know, outside of the potential for seeking some sort of, you know, psychologist, psychiatrist, somebody who does professional medical type stuff for that. Yeah. I'm interested in the fact that they severely dislike reading. And so why? Why is that? And so a lot of people aren't going to like reading because... They, they either can't focus that long on something. That sounds like a very potential consideration here, mm-hmm. especially because with, um, with books, you need to bring yourself through it. There is no yep. autopilot. If I put on a TV show and I kind of drift off for a few seconds and I come back, not only is the TV show still going, but in a lot of t- popular things, you know, if I'm watching a sitcom or something, I probably didn't miss anything. It didn't really yeah. matter. I'm not punished for it. Whereas with a book, every single word, you need to do the thing mm-hmm. that makes the word come into your head. Now, audiobooks can do the same thing, but it's um, you can't picture it as well, maybe. But audiobooks is a potential solution to being unable to focus yeah, on that. Yeah, because that is actually pushing you through. You, it would push you through, and maybe that would incentivize you to pay more attention to mm-hmm. it. But also, some people don't like books because of school. You're assigned to read yeah. books you don't like, or you're assigned to read books that you would have liked, but you were you were told so specifically, you better read this analytically and give me like 15 symbols for what that ladybug means. And yeah. then you're just like, but I hate this. But you would have loved the book if they just said, read the book. Tell me what you think about it. You know, school has a way of uh, taking, taking joy out of some things sometimes. Dude, I remember I had teachers who said, like, don't read ahead. Yeah, I didn't they, listen to they that. Would, That's dumb. They would assign a novel and be like, all right, we are going to read two chapters this week. I would ask that you don't read ahead. Don't get into it. Like, oh, <laughs> don't, okay. Don't be excited. So, yeah, let me just fit myself into this completely prescribed little box, and I will appreciate it just like everyone else because everyone's the same. I remember some quote about uh, about school, and it, was, it went along the lines of, uh, you know, 50 people in a classroom reading the same book. What a waste. Why not 50 people reading 50 different books? Yeah. You know, and I think that there's definitely use in everyone learning some of the same things, but the, you get to a point where you over-prescribe the methodology. And if you're saying, don't read ahead if, if I prescribed you uh, 1984 or Catch-22 or some book like that, that's ridiculous. If I want to go home and read the entire thing at a night, I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's, know? A, that's and, a, and a great thing. that should be thing. encouraged, you know. Just like say, all right, well, we're going to have an assignment two weeks from now. You're still going to have to do that. You might have to go back and reread. That's fine, but... Yeah, if you get into it, and I hope you do, you know, what? because we want to teach critical reading and analytical skills, but we also yeah. want to teach a love of reading. Yeah, and I think that also maybe because of the, the need for assignments and things that are easy to digest and grade, similar to how language learning classes are limited, if, if you're looking to make everybody in the classroom take the same things from the book, you know, you're putting them through two chapters at a time because you want them to focus specifically on this part. But maybe if they were all kind of just read the book and then um, people who are this far, at at this point, we're going to see 
who the farthest person is and who the least farthest person is. We're going to talk about stuff that people haven't gotten to yet or, or that everybody's gotten to already, mm. I mean, and then see what everybody took of it. Because one kid might see a completely different pattern that lines up with their personal views or life or experiences. Yeah. And that might mean something to them in, unless you're like, well, actually, that's the wrong interpretation. It, yeah. You know, it's uh, completely wrong. So I'm going to need you to reread the <laughs> chapter because you're an idiot. That's that's just it's uh, I think that those early reading assignments can become kind of sad, you know, because I loved To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, really enjoyed I just think too. of how many people don't like that because potentially of the way they were forced to read it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they wouldn't like it anyway, but I think we deserve the chance to figure that out for ourselves. Yeah. So. Outside of the potential for maybe you're just not used to the reading being fun, I would try a different format, both for fun and for the inability to focus. So maybe comics. You know, oh. it doesn't have to be all high-minded literature. Yeah. You know what's great? The Avatar, The Last Airbender comics are amazing. They're pretty much exactly like I was watching more episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. I'm just reading them. And you can get them, you can actually get them in big collections of each set of comics. There, I think it's three or four comics per theme, like a season almost. Yeah. Or you can just read them one comic at a time and not overwhelm yourself. But those are great. They don't even have that many words, so it's pretty easy to focus. They have all the pictures and things. Yeah. So if that's your problem, you can't imagine things very well yet. That should get you through. Um, audiobooks, if your problem is that you can't focus on this many words at once. I know I have a friend who mentioned that audiobooks are the best solution for her because she'll get impatient when reading. Like, this paragraph's not not that exciting, and then she'll, like, accidentally glance down and be like, wait, that's exciting down there, and then jump several lines ahead. I do that. Which is, yeah, I could see how that would make the story difficult to intake if you're constantly like, wait, which one happened first because I'm reading it in random order. Yeah. An audiobook would help with that, and, and she said that's basically the best way for her to do it at this point. Though I do that. And I don't think it's a problem. Uh, well, she said that it makes it pretty hard for her to enjoy mm, books. Also, okay. reading too often before bed made it so that reading kind of prompted feeling sleepy. Oh, yeah. So there's also some that. habitual stuff going on in there. Uh, and outside of these, if you just if you just want to read uh, fancy literature anyway and you want that to be fun, try short story collections. So mm, yeah. not too long ago, uh, maybe last month or two, I was trying to get a lot of work done. I'm focused on a bunch of other things. I'm working on my piano lessons. And I miss reading, but I'm just like, I don't have the... I'm dreading the time commitment to get into this because every book I want to read now is part of a series. Yeah. And I don't... I can't focus on that today. I can't get into it. I don't have the time to do it. So I got this short story collection from uh, Murakami, and I'd wanted to read something of his forever. And I'd never thought that it would be a short story collection, but I got... I think it was after the quake or something. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. You know, you read one little story at a time. And then I was like, I'm done with that story. Now, if I ignore this for three days and come back and I read the next story, there's no there's no punishment. There's no, oh, I forgot what's happening. I have to reread the last chapter yeah. again. It's digestible because it's a smaller amount of story at once. You know, um, if I read Name of the Wind or something or Game of Thrones and I have to take a week off between chapters... It might get a little hard to piece it all together if I live a very busy life. Yeah. I might forget what's going on. But if if the situation is you can't hold it all together at once or you can't hold that attention span, short stories can give you a lot of the, the literary value mm-hmm. 
but it's more digestible. And I mean, Murakami is one of the most respected authors in the world. Yeah. And I would love to read the straight up novels at some point, but if for now that's not what I have time for, then why should I just stop reading? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I have a few things to add here to your comic suggestion. Absolutely agree. And I think Comixology gives you a seven day free trial of their service. Uh, really? Is that is that like Netflix for comics? Is that like unlimited is. comics? Amazon bought them, and they just have a ton of comics. Now I think a lot of Marvel stuff isn't on there because Marvel has their own Marvel Unlimited service. They might also have a trial. I think I, I paid for Marvel Unlimited once, and for a month I just binged comics. I read all the modern oh, Iron Man. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot that you did that, and it was great. Uh, it was also a little too much. And then when I went to go see Alita: Battle Angel. I went into that movie knowing nothing and I walked out absolutely loving it. So I wanted to go read the manga and the entire original run of the manga was on comiXology and it was free on comiXology and I got the seven day free trial, which I don't even think they make you put your credit card in. It just like starts. Really? And once it ends, it's like, all right, you got to put your credit card in if you want to keep doing it. That's so cool. I just binged all nine volumes, the Alita manga. And oh, nice. Great. That's relatively accessible, too. It's not like mm-hmm. One Piece where it's like, well, you better get ready to read 900 volumes. Yeah, have no, fun it with, wasn't. Have fun with that. But, yeah, that's a good thing about Comixology, too. Is I forgot about this. There's a lot of manga on there. So that's a good way to read manga legally and uh, for yeah, a Yeah, it's low expensive price. if you have to buy a... And I just don't want to... I don't want to uh, have a giant collection of all that manga sitting around. No. Because I will blow through a volume of One Piece in, like, an hour. Yeah, I, do, I do not want a specific bookshelf... Yeah. For that. I don't have enough room in my apartment for several more bookshelves. Yeah, I don't want to own a lot of books that take me less than an hour to read. A few here and there, the ones that are special, that's fine. But a whole bookshelf of comics, just no thanks. So I really like the digital comics. And um, it was kind of like a a really good reason to own this size of an iPad. Oh, that's a great idea for, mm-hmm. for a larger iPad. When I did Marvel Unlimited, I only had my mini and I was still doable, but I would occasionally have to pinch in to read the pages or read the little bubbles. With this, it it's pretty the much same natural size as a comic book page, if not bigger. So it was great. Yeah, I never. Oh, it that was just sounds perfect great. Perfect viewing. Uh, and one lesson that I learned back in 2016 when I did that 25 pages per day challenge was that uh, as I did it, it got easier and easier to do it, and it got easier and easier to stick like my, my attention to the book. So if you started off with comics or short stories, or even a book like The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games is so successful in part because it's written to be very easily digestible. There are articles about this. The sentences are very uh, short. They're not overly descriptive or frilly. They keep the plot moving very, very quickly. Really? It's basically written. I don't know if it was like cynically done this way, but it's basically written to be just devoured very, very quickly by people who don't usually like to read. That's so, a that's a great idea if it mm-hmm. was done intentionally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's the same idea as writing a kids' book, right? You write a, the book for the audience that you want to stick yeah, with. You, your you book. don't you don't make the five year old read Cloud Atlas. They're not going to follow what's going mm-hmm. on in that. I barely follow it. You know, it takes a bit of thought, but yeah, that's that's a good idea. Different authors and more digestible writing styles. Mm-hmm. So if if you start reading with easier stuff, you may eventually just build the habit and build the ability and maybe even the enjoyment that you need to go into harder stuff. I think what we talked about earlier, school kind of just kicks the joy of reading out of a lot of people. And then they just think they dislike reading. But it's like, no, you just dislike the way school made you do it. Yeah. And now you're not used to it, so it seems hard. 
it's the same thing. Like if I don't go to the gym for a few months and I go back, it sucks. I'm just like, oh, I'm out of breath. Like, I, oh I, yeah, I knew, I know I used to be able to bench 200 for five, and now I can't even do like 185. I'm discouraged. But I know three weeks from now, if I'm consistent, I'm gonna be right back where I was. Yeah, so many people love running, and I'm just like, if I run half a block, I regret everything. I'm just like, this is not fun. <laughs> Why am I doing this? But yeah. clearly, once you get used to it, you're, there's something about it. So I, a lot of things are you getting used to them. Mm-hmm. And if you rollerblade a block, you love it. Yeah, so yeah, I love rollerblading. A, a better way so, to get your so it's a different in. format that works better for me. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah, I guess the the larger moral here is basically start over with what you consider reading, either yeah. through the format or the content, to alter your ability to focus or maybe be entertained by it. Yeah. You know what? We should do a video on this. What to do if you dislike reading? Yeah, because I think we just like yeah because it I can't. Darn good. I mean, and I know Ashley will agree with me strongly. I I can't feel better about many things than like how valuable reading is mm-hmm. and i don't care what you're reading it has nothing to do with oh look at me i read the fanciest <laughs> i actually i only read charles dickens over only and over fanciest. and over and over and over finger mustache i've read it 52 times this year <laughs> hoping for 53 next year oh yeah read it <laughs> twice in one day yeah. the last thing i wanted to mention here and this is something that is absolutely fascinating to me uh, when I read uh, Dr. John Rady's book, the uh, spark the what is it? The revolutionary new exercise of ex- yeah. revolutionary new science of exercise in the brain. That's what it is. Fantastic book, a lot of data. So maybe not a good starting book for someone who doesn't like to read. But there's a whole chapter on how exercise hugely benefits attention problems. Really? And Dr. John Rady is his specialty is actually ADHD and attentional deficit problems. Oh, he's not a. He is not I, an exercise I didn't, scientist. I didn't know that. He is an attention specialist. And his first book was on ADHD and ADD. Um, and he's been on this podcast way long time ago. So we can put that in the show notes. So people can go listen to our interview with him. But in the book, he has this whole chapter on how exercise, and I think it's specifically um, aerobic exercise, but that's just because there's been more research in aerobic than anaerobic, really benefits people who even have been diagnosed with ADHD and ADD. And the other thing that he pointed out is that ADD is simply a clinical diagnosis that is given if a person hits like a certain number of different criteria when they're evaluated. And I don't remember what the criteria are, but it's like there's nine or so that they test them on. And if you hit five of them, boom, you have ADD. But what that tells us is that people with ADD don't have a fundamentally different brain than people who don't. Rather, there's like a spectrum of attentional problems So there's people over here who have no problem focusing on one thing forever. They're good to go. And there's people over here with massive ADD and they can't focus on anything. And then there's a zillion people anywhere in between. And that means like if you have ADD, you're not different than other people. You're just a little bit further along the spectrum than someone else might be. And there are things you can do to maybe move yourself back or to mitigate the symptoms of your own intentional problems. Yeah. One of which is going and getting some exercise. And there's literal science to demonstrate that. Mm, I should rollerblade after this. I definitely think we should rollerblade after this. I because I kind of want to. I'm gonna focus so well. Yeah. So yeah. Um. I should my my main suggestion is go and get some exercise. Realize that you're not different than other people. You just your brain is a, has a certain configuration, and it's set a certain way by birth and genetics. But it's also very um. What's the word for it? Plastic. Yeah, it's very Brain, plastic. Brains right? are incredibly plastic. It's very sensitive to the inputs that you give it. 
So what are you eating? How much are you moving? How much are you sleeping? Um, what experiences have you had in the past that have given you certain likes or dislikes? Like, have you had an experience in the past that made you dislike reading? Well, that might encourage you to do things like play with your phone all the time, to play video games all the time, do things that maybe don't build that attentional muscle. And when you have a weak attentional muscle, you may end up slipping further along that spectrum and you may end up getting to the point where you're given a diagnosis. And it's very possible there's somebody out there who would have been given a diagnosis except for that what they do with their time, you know, puts them just over that line. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there are a lot of things that you can do even if you can't particularly change a, a trait exactly to to mitigate it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I don't know. You shouldn't don't give up on reading and don't give up on being able to focus on on reading just because it's difficult. You got to approach it from a different angle. Mhm. All right, question number 4. How did you choose what to put on your po- impossible list? Uh a lot of it was just arbitrary to be honest. Really? Yeah, yeah. I know it's pretty long. I yeah, saw it's a lot long. of it was just like, oh man, it'd be really cool to know how to throw axes. It'd be really cool to um go do the CN Tower edge walk. Uh, some of them I literally pulled from other people's impossible lists. Like Joel Runyon's had, you know, go do St. Paddy's Day in Ireland, which I don't know if I want to do that one anymore because I think St. Paddy's Day is often just about getting very drunk. I would like to go to Ireland though. But I, I remember it was either his or someone else's that had a whole section about cool events to go visit around the world. St. Patrick's Day in Ireland, Chinese New Year celebration, uh, carnival, things like that. So I was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'll put that on there. So really mine was just things I thought would be really cool to do with my life. And then as I got interested in things, I would add to my impossible list over time. Yeah. It's a very evolving document. And I've removed a lot too. I think I've removed everything that I no longer care about because I've kind of reserved the right to pick it back up later in life. But there's things that I just haven't gotten. Yeah. No, I won't get to. I think I had become fluent in Spanish on there once and I think I removed it. Yeah, and I think that's important too because otherwise your impossible list just becomes the I hate my life list Mm -hmm. because I have to do all these things that young me thought was cool and now I think are dumb. Yeah, and yeah, I guess here's the thing. At any time I can remove something and there's no consequence and at any time I can put something back that I had once removed. Yeah. It's not set in stone. Really, the, the point of the impossible list, and this, this is, I think this is why it's different than a bucket list. The point of the impossible list is just to encourage you to constantly be growing and doing things that you would otherwise think are impossible. Yeah, so. stuff, stuff you can't imagine yourself doing yet. Mm-hmm. But Like I have release an album on there. I think I even have release a rap album on there. And I put that on there back when you released your rap EP. Yeah. You know? And uh, even my little brother, like he started out just making beats in Fruity Loops and they were like very, very basic and not that great. And now he's making stuff that, you know, I've heard some stuff that's going to come out at some point that could be on a major label release. I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. So that's something that I would have thought impossible for myself. And that is why it should go on my list. It's, it's meant to inspire you. The impossible mm-hmm. list is about staying inspired and yep. And it's about progression and iteration, which is why I do the bullet list uh, like the indentation. So yeah, I do and, one and thing, you add you add ahead. a next layer. Mm-hmm. Only if you want to, though. Yeah, only if I want to. You're you're not gonna like. I've benched seven million pounds. That means I have to bench yeah. eight million. So a very significant one for me was once I hit one million subscribers on YouTube, I did not put a next goal in there. And you know, I can't remember if I've gone in recently and changed that because 
I changed my mind on a lot of things, but I remember the day that I crossed that off, I was like, do I add the next one? No, I don't think so. Let's see here. Okay, so I guess I have since added get 5 million subscribers. So at some point I started okay, caring about that okay. again. But for a very long time, I was like, you know what? I don't know if I care. So yeah, these these goals are meant to inspire and iterate on your skills, but they're based on your values at the time. If you stop thinking that follower counts matter, yeah, you know, maybe you'll take it away mm-hmm. or you know, you you didn't have it added initially because your first thoughts were I'm not sure I value that actually. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I think the reason I put that back on there was as more of like a another motivation to keep growing the YouTube channel as a way of ensuring the my ability to provide for the team, I guess. Yeah. Because to be very honest, I no longer have a strong caring either way. Like, that's not the word for it. I, I don't have like this strong desire to push the channel to 5 million subscribers as soon as I can. And I guess it comes from the realization of watching people like MKBHD or Linus Tech Tips, both of whom are past, I believe, 8 million subscribers. It's like, what do they do with their average day? Oh, you know, they do what I do. Yeah, it's not, not going to be that much different. It's not much different. Maybe MKHD is using a crazy robot camera, which is cool, but I could probably go use that somewhere if I made the right connections. Maybe Linus Tech Tips is doing his video work in a giant warehouse with some custom sets they built that are bigger than mine. But at the end of the day, like... If I wanted to do the content they were doing, I could choose to do it now. I don't need 8 million subscribers to do it. And maybe I couldn't do it to the same exact level, but it just it doesn't really change much at this level. So it's no longer a thing that really matters to me that much. You know, and something that I also want to make clear, because I think a lot of people feel like I run my life by the impossible list, and I don't. You know, I'm not always trying to go as hard as possible on one or more of these goals here. It's just, for me, it's a reminder something that I can come back to, something that's public, something that's very present in my life so I can look at it and be like, oh, yeah, I want to work towards that for now. It's not a it's not a habit tracker for sure. All right, last question. I want to work in a place where I know I'll develop skills for the career I want, which is to be a librarian, but there aren't many direct opportunities that relate to it. Um, only looking for jobs in a library severely limits my options. So what kinds of jobs can I look for that would still be useful for my career? So with this, my immediate thought was actually something that you coincidentally brought up earlier. Did I? The job desirability hierarchy. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, so if you absolutely couldn't get something, uh, the uh, what's the order of relevance here? Stuff that gives you direct experience. If you absolutely can't then stuff that helps you with soft skills and professional stuff that will help you with your career. Mm-hmm. You know, leadership experience helps everywhere. Communication experience helps everywhere. And then after that, jobs with that give you downtime so you could work on your own project or research or something that would also help you in your career area. Yeah. Uh, for more specific things for this library situation... I would say that there may also be more opportunities than you'd think because there's some there's some other places like the Botanic Gardens has a small library. Mm. You know, um different school departments have their own little libraries. Mm-hmm. There there's a lot a lot of small areas where they may need to just have an area with archiving or something like that that might be relevant. Um but yeah, my first thought would be to jump immediately to soft skills or downtime and do a project on the side that yeah. that helps me get closer to it 
but if you can't get something in the right area, because I really enjoyed getting tech jobs in college and all these different departments because I was making connections in all these different departments and they weren't for my career entomology. You know, what's weird is I love photographing insects now. So that's like accidentally related, but dude, there's all this stuff that just like loops around later on and you just never see it coming. Yeah. Like I had a summer job, uh, working for the virtual reality center on campus and I helped them put together this documentary for this project that summer interns were doing. And they taught me three-point lighting, camera aperture, interview skills, like how to frame an interview. They taught me how to shoot B-roll, and they trained me on how to use Final Cut. I don't use Final Cut, but they trained me on how to use multi-layer video editing software. And yeah. And I just sort of got into it. And it was, it was funny because it was like I had this interest to do YouTube videos, very, very light interest. And it was like, oh, I just happen to know how to use this editing software already. Well, there's a barrier out of my way. I think that's kind of how we end up getting into things. It's just like, I kind of have these little bits and pieces of knowledge that just sort of get rid of roadblocks that might have otherwise squashed my interest. Yeah, because getting started, the the barrier of entry Mm -hmm. is the initial thing holding you back. So as soon as you accidentally, from some other way, find something that helps you cross it, you're like, well, actually, this is worth trying out. Yeah. But yeah, I, I enjoyed being in random other departments and learning from the other connections I made. And it gave me the potential to network. I helped another friend get a job and the same thing later. That was helpful. Even if, you know, I consider that helpful for me because it's helping me help a friend, but it's also helpful for them. And if I can't work somewhere related to what I want to do specifically, I would have side projects and I would try to work somewhere that lets me build skills or maybe network with other interests that I like Yeah, that could merge in later. I think the other thing I would do is I would literally go ask librarians. Like, yeah. What was your path? You know, ask them to coffee, do the inter- informational interview. Um, the RA who ran my house before I was the RA of it, like the previous dude uh, who was also a cyclone with me, his name was Michael. He was in school for library science. So he went on to become a librarian, but his job in school was an RA. But he also worked with new student programs. So he had all these connections with people who worked on campus and had, you know, kind of a lot of influence and pull. And I don't know if he works at Iowa State Library, but people who are like the director of new student programs, for example, or the director of the residence department tend to know other people at other universities. So, again, it's a lot of connections. Yeah, networking is a useful thing, even if that's the only thing you can get from it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are our five questions. This is a good one. Gave me inspiration for a video. Good. Yeah, I think we can actually do that one pretty easily. So uh, this is episode 261, which means that if you go over to CIGpodcast.com slash 261, you can find the show notes for this episode. I think there were a lot of things we linked to or mentioned linking to. So you might want to check them out. Also at those show notes or at regularoldcigpodcast.com, you will find ways to subscribe to this show if you have not done so already. So if you want to get uh, new episodes delivered to your Spotify or your Apple Podcasts app, your Google Podcasts app, Pocket Casts, whatever it is that you use, you can go over to that URL and figure out how to subscribe. Otherwise, you can keep watching on YouTube or listening in your browser or listening through the ether, whatever it is that you want to do. You know, I heard that ether hi-fi is pretty good. If you can access it. Oh, that's good. I prefer lo-fi. Well, I do. Well, that's easier to get to, though. You know, you only got to expose yourself to X-rays instead of gamma rays. I need the chill, less risky. chill lo-fi beats. 
Yeah. 24-7, chill hop lo-fi. It's very important. Mm-hmm. It's a genre that I really haven't gotten into for my study playlist. I should probably get into it a little more. I don't know. I just have like this this uh, fixation on like orchestral game soundtracks and things like that. Well, those are good. Those are very good. Yeah, but I would like to mix it up a bit. So maybe some lo-fi chill hop listenings in my near future. Anywho, uh, you can also go to collegeinfogeek.com slash resources to find our favorite apps, books, all kinds of tech. We recommend our uh, essential books for students list, which is pretty comprehensive, and our college packing guide. So if you're heading back to school at any point or you're trying to figure out how to make your dorm cooler, uh, there's all kinds of stool. Cool. Cool things there. I don't think a stool's on there, though. No. All kinds of stools on the list. You know, like ones for guitar, piano. Very useful stuff. Very useful. Tons of stools. <laughs> If you want to support this show, a good way to do so is to give us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes on your desktop computer, or you can simply share this show with a friend, maybe tell them your favorite episode, and they might become a listener as well. Uh, Beyond that, thanks, as always, just for hanging out and listening to this show and uh, being a part of the audience, and we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.